Two more passages for us to ponder uh, along with the message. First, Second Corinthians, verse 12, three, uh, sorry, chapter 12, verse one. It's necessary to boast. Nothing is to be gained by it, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told, that no mortal is permitted to repeat. On behalf of such a one, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. But if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me, even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. And also a passage I want us to think about a little later on in the message from 1 Corinthians 3. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants, working together. You are God's field, God's building. Taste and see that the Lord is good. These words kept coming up for us as we first considered going to Lithuania over three years ago now. And as we've taught and learned, as we've opened up our home to students, and as we've been edified by them, these words have continued to echo in our lives. Not simply know that I'm good uh, and spread the word, but taste. You won't see it until you taste it for yourself. Only when you taste my goodness will you see that I am good. When you taste my goodness in Lithuania, we've heard God saying, you will become witnesses of my, that my goodness does exist in Lithuania also, despite the alcoholism, the suicide, the depression rates, despite the slow recovery of a social fabric that's been ripped to shreds by 40 years of Soviet rule. In that context, we see a large part of our task as being uh, a matter of growing in awareness of God 
who God is and what God is doing there. We've indeed experienced God's goodness in Lithuania, three years of it now. We've been amazed by the kindness and support of the teachers at Miriam and Peregrine's new school. We've been struck by God's beauty every time we walk out into the woods, whether it's raining or whether it's sunny. We've been honored to work with uh, colleagues who are really motivated by Christ's love for the students. What might take us by surprise, though, is the Apostle Paul's description of how the goodness of God often gets passed along. Paul begins this way. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. We don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Uh, It could have been a physical illness or a psychological state, perhaps even a persistent temptation. We really don't know. We do know that he felt it kept him from being all he could be. Isn't this also our own experience? Say someone comes to you for comfort, and you simply find you don't have the right words to give them. You pray about it. Maybe you still don't have the right words that they are depending on hearing from you. You know they will continue through life hurting if they don't hear the comfort you should have provided. This has certainly happened to us. We pray almost daily for wisdom, and sometimes when a student needs advice, it seems we don't have the right advice to give. Sometimes also we forget to ask. And then, of course, there's an obvious reason why wisdom isn't given. But sometimes we do, and it still doesn't seem to be given. Aren't we sometimes tempted to ask, what's going on? What is God thinking? People are relying on us, and God is letting them down. But Paul goes on. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul's explanation for God's apparently rather unsatisfactory behavior here should shock us, particularly as Paul goes out of his way to make sure we know This isn't just his best guess at it. This is really God's explanation for his behavior. My power is made perfect in weakness. When Paul is faced with his own continuing inadequacy, God does not call Paul to count his blessings, to taste and see the goodness of the many good things God has given his faithful, though still flawed, servant. Rather, count your weaknesses, God seems to be telling Paul. Keep in mind those things you know are hindering what I've called you to do in the world. This seems almost contradictory, doesn't it? Let's listen to Paul's response, which I think is almost as unexpected as God's explanation to Paul. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults and hardships, in persecutions and difficulties, For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Isn't this stunningly brash on Paul's part? Yet, there's still the temptation to turn this into a nice sentiment, I think. We can take this as assurance that even if we don't do very well, God will make it work out okay anyway. We can sort of hopefully blunder along, trusting God will take care of the mess before it becomes a real mess, or at least before anybody notices. But Paul certainly isn't going there. That's not what he's saying, I don't think. He says, I will gladly boast about my weaknesses. 
Paul is saying something more like, it's through our very failures that what is truly God's power is revealed to us and to others. So what challenges have you faced that you felt completely unable to deal with? And as it turned out, you were completely unable to deal with. Not a question we want to ask ourselves, I know. But I think Paul is asking us to ask that here. Boast about these is Paul's advice. Let me take Paul's advice for a moment and share with you some of our own weaknesses in this past year, the challenges in which we felt we should have done more, or at least we didn't do enough. In our lives, I think first of a student, I had my first semester as a teacher. For some time, I considered my relationship with him one of my biggest successes as a teacher, clueless as I was my first semester. He'd already failed the class twice when he came to me and seemed set to fail it a third time. I was careful to stay in touch with him, though, and to follow up with him to make sure he was keeping up with the class. He turned out to be a great leader in his service group and passed the class with flying colors. Over the next two years, uh, though, he continued to have not an easy time uh, in school. He also took Trisha's class twice before he passed it. Um, nevertheless, he continued to push toward graduation, and we continued to have an encouraging relationship. This past December, he graduated. Uh, we felt, I felt, that we'd succeeded. That January, he died from a drug overdose. Uh, it seemed like I had failed. Like, what I had done was not enough. I felt like, you know, I should have gotten to know him better. I, I should have worked with him more. You know the train of thought these sorts of regrets produce, right? It was clear that what I had done wasn't enough. Or I think of another uh, enthusiastic and brilliant student we had a, that had a special place in our hearts. Last year, he came quite often to our Tuesday philosophy nights. He was definitely searching for answers. Um, toward the end of uh, the first semester last year, despite our, our best efforts, his pessimism about breaking the societal and political boundaries that constrain life deepened. There seemed to him no way to break free that led to a good life. He was from Ukraine, um, and uh, the political situation there really weighed on him. Nothing we said seemed to help. I kept thinking he needs to understand the sort of freedom that Jesus gives, and a peace that even the worst of political situations cannot take away. Why can't I describe it in a way that he'll recognize? During the fall, uh, he withdrew from classes. Though planning to enroll again this past fall, in the summer he took his own life instead. Again we wondered, should we have done more? Though we live in hope that both of these students are now completely in the hands of a loving God, and that God's grace and mercy will have the final word in their lives, whatever that will look like, we must admit we are still a long way from rejoicing in those weaknesses of ours that could not destroy the destructive forces in these people's lives. We also know that God has brought good out of evil. These deaths have prompted, prompted many other students to reevaluate their lives and their perspectives. After the January death of the graduate, 100 students signed up for a program that introduces interested people to the basics of Christianity, starting with the question, is there more to life than this? Uh, that was totally unprecedented at LCC. 
God's goodness is a comfort to us, even if we haven't quite reached the stage of rejoicing about our own weaknesses here. For it's God's strength we want to rely on, not our own. In 1 Corinthians, Paul put it this way. What, after all, is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. As we think about these losses, this has been a profound statement for us. Think about that a moment. A gardener plants and waters, but he doesn't make plants grow. Did you ever wonder what that mysterious force is that actually makes things grow? Perhaps the wonder is even more striking when you think about uh, medical examples. Think about it in a moment. Do doctors heal people? No, actually they don't. They enable people's bodies to heal themselves. Think about it this way. Um, imagine a doctor stitching clothes to cut on a person who's already dead. The job may be perfectly executed, but no healing will occur. The skin will not knit back together and, and become one. That mysterious principle which enables growth and change has gone. This is God's action in our life. In the same way, even if we did everything right, even if we have no weakness at all, only God can make the wonder and fullness of a good life grow. Our weaknesses are only stronger witnesses of this and stronger reminders. It is really these strong reminders of our weakness, even the weakening effects of grief in these two cases, that have allowed us to rejoice when good things happen. And we can't help but realize this is God's doing. God is working with us in our work. I think of another worldview student um, a student who came from Bangladesh, who, as soon as he came to LCC, he started questioning everything. He just couldn't stop questioning and questioning and questioning. Um, you know, questioning societal relations, questioning the stuff he was learning, questioning his own faith, uh, which he came to LCC with a very strong faith, questioning the very foundations of his life, really. Um, we tried to be encouraging to him. We um, tried to give him intelligent advice, as, as you no doubt hope. Um, but for him, the really decisive turning point was when he had this direct experience of God's love, something uh, that all our wisdom couldn't give him. And that kind of turned him back toward God and a life that could uh, have a solid foundation to, to build on. Or we think of one of Trisha's students from her moral philosophy class this past fall. Uh, Trisha structures her class very carefully to lead students uh, on kind of a journey, ending with what she hopes is a more complete picture of living well that comes from a Reformed Christian perspective. It seems that it would be difficult for a student to get much out of the course unless they're able to come along all stages of that journey, right? Well, for one reason and another, this student missed more than half of Trisha's class, her carefully structured course, and nevertheless found it completely life-changing. Again, we'd done what we could, and again, what we'd done wasn't enough. 
And yet we kind of shrugged in amazement and rejoiced in the active presence of the only one who can bring real growth and change. Over all the blessings and losses of the past year, it's grown clear to us that adequacy is never possible. It's only the Lord who makes things grow. This doesn't mean God doesn't have to make things, doesn't have things for us to do. God does ask us to plant seeds or to water them, but he doesn't call us to make them grow or think that we are the ones who can make them grow. We're called to faithfully plant, faithfully water, and trust God to bring the growth. As we do this work, we can rejoice with Paul that God's grace is sufficient, that his power is made perfect in our weakness. Praise God that his goodness can work in all our weakness. Praise God that our weakness can't kill God's work in the world, but is actually the soil God works with. Praise God that it is the one who rose from the dead, who conquered the grave, that brings new life. Praise God that he calls us to work and grow in the reality of that resurrection sort of goodness. Amen.